You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Turn your Bibles farewell to Matthew chapter 1. We'll read verses 17 down to verse 23. It says here, So all generations of Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Allow me to explain a few things for a while. If you all remember, several months ago, specifically July of this year, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, either June or July, if you remember, I did, you know, talk about the gauge of a healthy spiritual life, all right? So it's kind of like saying, if I am a Christian or I am a believer, what should be on, like, the dashboard for me to know that I'm still doing okay, all right? I did say that a Christian man has like what we call a triage for that matter. We did say that it starts with orthodoxy, and then it's also orthopathy and orthopraxy. Just to get this back in our consciousness. Imagine this is you right here, and one of your desires is for you to grow in your walk with God. All right? I have not met a Christian who said, hey, I don't want to grow. Every single one of us would want to grow in our walk with God. Now, the gauge there, to a certain extent, are these three. When you talk about orthodoxy, it's talking about our right understanding. All right? Our right understanding. Meaning to say, meaning to say uh, we all need to be fed with God's Word. All right? We should be embracing right doctrines. Why? Because right doctrines equate or goes to right practice which is orthopraxy, all right? But the other aspect of that is what we call orthopathy. You don't have to memorize this. Again, I'm just saying that orthopathy is a right soul. It's kind of like this. You may know so many things about God's Word. You might be so active in the church, practice, praxi. But these two things aren't really translated in a deeper walk with God. Are you folks following? In short, the summary of that is this. If your head is so informed about who God is, what He has done, if your head is so informed and your hands is so busy serving the ministry, and yet these things aren't real in your lives, it's short to say that it's basically called hypocrisy. I am sharing that because I realized that before coming up here, I saw like three books over there, a Tim Keller book, a C.S. Lewis book, and all of that. And all of these things are great. But what I'm trying to say here is this. 
we're going to talk about what we call the incarnation. All right, the incarnation. And when I throw questions like, hey, does this make sense to you? Let's say, let's open Matthew chapter 1, verses 17 to 23. Let's study this together. Now, the question there is, does this make sense to you? And a lot of times when I ask questions like, does this make sense to you? You answer yes, only based on your understanding. But my goal here this afternoon is kind of different because what I want us to embrace and understand is not just for us to have an added information or added knowledge. But when I say, does this make sense to you? I'm basically talking about the pathos part of our life, which basically goes something like this. When I say, does the incarnation of Christ make sense to you? All I'm trying to ask actually is, how does the message of the incarnation could potentially change your life? All right? Because the truth is, you know, we know so much about God's Word, but we need to understand that it should go to the heart level. So we're not just like singing songs flippantly. We're not just putting these things up for the sake of aesthetics. We want all of these things to travel from our mind to our heart. And my goal here this afternoon is very simple. I hope and pray that the message of the incarnation will change you from the inside out. Right? All that to say that, Tuang you, you love the Christmas season. You love the Christmas season. We love the Christmas season. I've been to like eight parties already. Yes, we do love the Christmas season. But I want to submit to everyone that actually, just to realign our thinking, Christmas actually is a celebration of the incarnation. All right? Christmas is a celebration of the incarnation. And I hope and pray that this added information will travel to your heart and it will change your life. And that's our goal here. What do we mean when we say incarnation? What do we mean when we say incarnation? The simplest definition could be something like this. You take the word, you try to sort out the word. It simply means incarnate, being made flesh. And that is basically the story that we're having here. Okay, let me jump straight to verse 22. Look at this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. The prophet says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I want us to fix our eyes on the first two words found in verse 22. Verse 22 talks about two words, and these are basically the words, all this. Are folks following? You see that in your Bible? So it starts with, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. So here's my question. What is all this? What's the all this? Verse 22, all this took place. Now, when you have something like that, it requires us to look at a certain context. All right? So if you look at this right now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord. So all this, what is all this? What is it pertaining to? Our immediate response is, the words, all this, points to the story of the birth of Christ. What do you guys think? Fair enough? Turn your Bibles for about to verses 18 to 21. The words, all this, our initial response is, ah, it points to verses 18 to 21, which talks about what? The birth of Christ. All right? Now, just imagine this before. The reason why I'm taking like different routes in explaining this because I know that you guys are so familiar with the story. So I want you to look at this in a fresh perspective. Look at this. Look at how Christ was born. You have a guy and a woman who was engaged. All right? 
guy visits the girl with a bouquet of flower, and girl surprises him. Guy surprises her with a flower. You know, girl surprises him with a pregnancy test. Hey, I'm pregnant. And you're like, huh, I did what the church told me. We never had any sexual intercourse. And you're like, hey, I'm pregnant. So tell me, kinsa, kinsa good na. I mean, just imagine the situation. It's like, what do you mean, kinsa? It's God. The Holy Spirit brought this in. And you're like, all right, this is a crazy story. Joseph wanted to divorce her. That's what betrothal is. You can study that yourself. So, but being a just man, you know, Joseph took this on himself. And then an angel appeared to convince the fiancé, Joseph, that what Mary was actually saying is actually true. Now, Kwame can honestly tell me that this story is humanly confusing. What do you guys think? It is, right? It is humanly confusing. Not just that, not just that. It's also potentially embarrassing. I mean, for our foreigner friends here, Philippines, at least East Asia, has an honor and shame culture. You don't want to break news like this one to your parents and your community. Plus the fact in the Philippines, there are a lot of marites. Right? You say something like this. I tell you what, it's going to be the talk of the town. You're going to be on TikTok. That's what it is. So it's scandalous. It's humanly confusing. In short, verses 18 to 21, if you want me to summarize that, in contemporary culture, that's what you call a scandal. That's a scandal right there. Contemporary culture will call that a scandal. So going back, Thus, here's my question, does all this pertain to this? The answer is yes and no. Yes, it pertains to that, but it goes further than 18 to 21. So what I'm trying to say here is, when Matthew said, when Matthew said all this took place, you don't, this is not all that there is. Catch it? It's not just talking about the story of the birth of Christ. You need to go further back. Now, I want you to open your Bibles. Just open your Bibles, lay it flat before you. Open your digital Bibles. What do you see from verses 1 down to verse 17? What do you see there? It's the what? The genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Verses 1 to 17 talks about his genealogy. So, what I want us to understand is this. When Matthew writes in verse 22 the words all this, he's not just pertaining to verses 18 to 21, he's actually pertaining to verses 1 to 21. Following? All right? It's actually pertaining to verses 1 to 21. So if you look at the story, what do you have in verses 1 to 21? What do you have now? We don't have time to cover all of this, but there's a summary to that, to verses 1 to 21. The summary of verses 1 to 21 is found in verse 17. Right? Look at verse 17 for a while. Look at verse 17. That's the summary. And I want to read the summary of verses 1 to 21. Here's the summary. Look at this. The summary is, so all the generations, all right, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. Right? Now, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. 
And from deportation to Babylon to the Christ, what does it say? 14 generations. Here's how it looks like. Let's start with Christ. Let's start with Jesus. That's what it says, right? Prior to Jesus, it says there, something happened and it's called the deportation. Deportation. Are you folks following? That's what you see there. Now, before the deportation, there was a character named there and that was David, right? And before David, there was Abraham. That's what you have there. All right? So, I want you to understand this. Verses, okay, all this does not pertain to just this. It pertains to this. And 1 to 21 is this one right here. You have Abraham, David, deportation, and Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand this. Abraham, David, and the deportation people, whoever, I mean, the Israelites, these were not the only characters in God's Word in the Old Testament. Am I, am I right? I mean, come on now. You have guys like Moses. You have guys like Jeremiah. You have guys like Elijah, Isaiah. But what I'm saying, this is actually summarized this way. So Matthew's like, hey, I want you to understand. There's something important that you need to understand here. Now look, what's the story of Abraham? What's the story of David? What's the story of the deportation? And what is the story of Christ? going to get to that in a while, but here's what I want you to understand. This is the entire, this is basically your entire Old Testament. All right? This is your entire Old Testament. What Matthew is trying to make you understand is this. He's like telling every single one of us, hey, here's the story of Christ. Every single thing in the Old Testament points to him. Follow me? He's like saying, parang ganito po yan. Ang sinasuggest po ni Matthew, pag nagbabasa kayo ng Old Testament, isipin nyo, at one point, it will point to Christ. Ha? Huh? Ang binabasa ko, story in Elijah, guess what? It will point to Christ. Ha? Huh? I'm reading the story of Elijah. No, it will point, it will still point to Christ. So everything that you're reading in the Old Testament basically point to Christ. Now, what's, what's one prominent prophetic word about Christ? Look at this. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. All right? So somewhere, somewhere along this part right here, there was a prophet. He prophesied, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. When Jesus was born, Matthew writes and quotes that, and Matthew says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And then he defines what Emmanuel means, which means God with us. Now, I want you to understand, this is extremely important. Okay, this is extremely important. Why? Because, what's the story of the deportation? What's the story of David? What's the story of Abraham? Here, here, uh, uh, here's the story. The deportation happens, happened this way. Um, remember Babylon? Um, here's what happened. Babylon invaded Israel, and what happened was they have uprooted every single one of them and brought them to exile. Okay, brought them to exile. So the prophetic literature describes it this way. Ang natira daw po, here's how you should imagine Israel during the deportation, during the exile. Para daw po silang stump on the ground. Alam mo, pag nagputol kayo ng puno, ganun ang itsunang Israel. They're like a stump on the ground. That's how it looks like. It's desolate. Alright? Now, question. I need you to answer. You need to help me out. Was this their final destiny? 
What do you guys think? Were they rescued? Were they restored? They were rescued. They were restored. That's their story from the deportation. Kaya bumalik sila, di ba? Nag-build sila ulit ng wall, di ba? Nehemiah. Right? They were building the walls. Naibalik po sila sa lugar nila. Here's another question. David. Look at David. Um, can you imagine your dad not even knowing that you exist? You guys know the story of David, right? Prophet comes in, tells and tells, tells Jesse, hey Jesse, one of your sons, one of your sons will become king. And Jesse was like, this one, this one, this one, this one. No, 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 it's not. Do you have any other son? Ah, wait a second. Ah, naapadiay. The one in the field. But you don't bother. Just one smelly, skinny guy. So he was a what? David was a nobody. Are you David was a nobody. Don't raise your hand. If you feel like you are a nobody, David was a nobody also. And then what, get, what did God do with David? Eventually became the greatest king of Israel. Okay. Look at Abraham. Look at this life of Abraham. So Abraham had a wife by the name of? By the name of Sarai. Sarah. Right? Here's the problem. Abraham physiologically cannot bear a child. He just can't. And then God gave them a promise. Okay, you're going to bear a son. And they, they've waited, what, 25 years? And she was like, 100 years old. I cannot, Sarah was like, I cannot bear a son anymore. Now, for all of you who loves mathematics, here's the mathematics of God based on the life of Abraham and Sarah. For God, here's how it looks like. Nothing plus nothing equals something. What am I trying to what am I what am I trying to tell every single one of us here? Matthew chose the story of Abraham, David, the deportation to point to Christ. What he's trying to make us understand is this: the God that you worship is an out of nothing God. Jesus was born, and there was like, huh? There's no sperm cells. There's no. There, there was nothing involved here. There was no trip to the hotel. There was no romance or whatever. And yet, the virgin conceived. So, it is a what? It is a pattern that you see in God's Word. Open your Bibles. You will understand that there's a pattern in God's Word. It's called an out-of-nothing theme. It's repeated throughout Scriptures over and over again. Now, here's my question. What does this tell you about your God? What does this tell you about your God? You look at the life of Abraham, you look at the life of David, you look at the life of the exiles, you look at how Christ was conceived. What does this tell you about your God? It tells you that your God, the God that we serve, can create something out of nothing. And like what he said, this is not my goal, this is my goal. All this to say that I don't fully know what your circumstances are, I don't fully know what your circumstances are. I get to know your circumstances when I get to talk to you or when I read your prayer request. But if your situations right now are difficult, impossible, crazy, horrible, if your finances, your love life, if all of these things are just crazy right now. Here's what I want you to understand. I simply want to tell every single one of you, you guys decide because it's your personal faith, but I'm simply telling you that you worship an out-of-nothing God. Tells me that 
my God will not need any organic material to create something. I look at what I don't have, and I realize, all right, I understand. In the impossibility of my situation, I know that at the end of the day, it's only God who can cause something to happen in my life. Amen? Whether it's your health, right? Is your, is your health uh, failing and stuff like that? No. This is, again, what I want to submit. What, kayo po mag-decide. But what does this tell you about the God that you serve? It tells us that God can create something great out of the nothingness of your situation right now. That's why we should celebrate the incarnation. All right? Now, look at this. Turn your Bibles with me for a while to Psalm chapter 90. We're not going to read that. I just want to read the first part. Look at Psalm chapter 90 for a while. Look. Look at this. Look at the prayer of Moses. Here's what Moses says. He says, God. He says, Lord, you have been a what? You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, you know what this psalm is telling us? It expresses, Psalm 90 expresses how the Father is our home. Alright? Now, I need you to understand this. This is extremely important. It expresses how the Father is our home. And here's what I want you to understand. The first ever problem of humanity is this. Our first ever problem is homelessness. Yeah. Our first ever problem is actually homelessness. What am I trying to say? Remember, look at this. I want you to imagine Genesis chapter 1. Adam and Eve were walking in the cool of the garden, and they were like this close to God. It's like, hey, God. Can give high five like you were this close to God. When they sit against God, Genesis chapter 2, what happened? They were what? They were banished from the garden. So, look at this. They were spiritually homeless. Alright? Humanity's first ever problem is actually homelessness. Now, who of you have experienced getting lost in a mall? Or in a peria? Alright? Can I bring back the childhood trauma? You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, as a young kid, the racks of the clothes are taller than you. And ma, ma, ma. And you feel like you're lost and you're approached by what? You're approached by a kidnapper. <laughs> you're approached by a security guard, right? Security guard grabs your hand and looks for your mom and brings you back to the loving embrace of your mom. Uy, anak, asamang now, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. Humanity's first ever problem is homelessness. And it was actually Christ who brought us home to be back with the Father. That's what the incarnation is. Because He was born, He brought us back to the Father. In short, I want you to understand this. Jesus brought man back to Eden. Only much better. In Christ, we were brought back to our home, but it's just way better. You know why? Because this time around, there's no losing it. It's an Eden that will never be lost from us. And I'm thinking about this, I'm like, man, this is what Christ has accomplished for you and for me. He brought us back home. 
And now in the presence of Christ, yes, we, sometimes we feel anxious, we feel afraid, but when we realize that I'm actually at home, I'm safe in my Father's arms. No wonder Sammy says, I am, or rather, God is my dwelling place. God is my dwelling place. And spiritually speaking, we were homeless and we we're back with God. And here's another thing. It is only through Christ. So in Christ, the Father is our home. Amen? But not just that. Not just that. When you are homeless, something happens to you when you're homeless. I've never been homeless my entire life. Okay? But I, I just know this. When you're homeless, you're also what? What do you think? When you're homeless, you're also helpless. If you're driving your motorcycle or your car, Jollibee drive through I mean, now, Christmas time. What do you encounter there? People are begging for money. Have you ever been approached by our Bajau friends asking you for coins? I mean, think about this. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because they're helpless. They're helpless. And why are they helpless? Because they're homeless. Our folks following. Here's your situation. Because of our sins, we're homeless. And because we're homeless, we are helpless. Christ brought us back to our Father. And here's the picture. In Christ. Who brought you here? Only Christ can. Christ did. Now, I want you to understand that this is what makes Christianity so unique. In Christ, the Father is your home. Not just that. In Christ, the Spirit is your help. Oh, no wonder the Bible tells us that the Spirit comes to help us in times of trouble. Can I promise you something? Something that's going to happen next year? Do you realize that over and over again, the past couple of years, we don't tell you that your next year will be your best life, whatever. I can't really say because I'm not God. But here's what I understand. In a cycle of 12 months, every single month, I would assume that every single one of us will encounter some hiccups. We will encounter some problems. Who am I here can honestly say that you've encountered some problems this year? Right. Right. All of us. All of us. Here's what I want you to realize. In Christ, the Spirit is our help. I want to point this. Look, Matthew is pointing to Christ. It's like saying, hey, you think about Abraham, you think about David, you think about the deportation. It points to Christ. So I want to help you point this to Christ. Here's my question. Look, if, follow the logic for what? I never loved logic. If in Christ, God is your home, if in Christ, the Father is your home, and if in Christ, the Spirit is your help, what does that make of Christ? Just answer in your mind. If in Christ, the Father is your home, and if in Christ, the Spirit is your help, what does that make of Christ? And here's the answer. It tells us that Christ is our only hope. It tells us that Christ is our only hope. If because of Christ, I can call God Father, if because of Christ, I can always stop on the help of the Holy Spirit. Then at the end of the day, it tells me that Christ is my only hope. Amen? And I want you to understand how important this is. It's a wonderful message to think about. 
but it confronts us with many things. It tells us then that if in Christ God is our home, and if in Christ the Spirit is our help and Christ is our only hope, then it tells us then that I should not put my hope in the things of this world. Ah, kaya pala sabi sa Bible, heaven and earth will pass away, but only the Word of God will remain. And if you think about this, we are all born thinking that we have a home in the loving embrace of our boyfriend. We are all born thinking you're like eight years old and you feel like, man, I need my crush to look at me or else I'm going to die. I can't breathe, mama. I can't breathe. You're a single professional and you feel like, man, the only lacking thing in my life is a husband. Pag may husband na ako, pag may nanligaw na sa akin, yes, agad. We feel like we have a home in a person. We feel like we have a home in our friends. Even church friends. We feel like we have the help of an ATM machine, a job security. We feel like we have a help. Once I just get to this, you know, greener grass kinds of places. We feel like we have help if we get approved for our Australian visa, our Canadian visa, and all of the, none of these things are bad. But at the end of the day, what Christ is telling us is this. At the end of the day, our home, our help, and our hope is Christ alone. A lot of times, these things will be stripped away from us. Will be stripped away from us so that that which will remain is that which is essential. And that is Christ alone. You think about the words of the Incarnation. You think about the word Incarnation, rather. You think about the story of Christmas. It basically tells every single one of us that Jesus is our only hope. Amen? That if, if there was no Incarnation, there's no reason to celebrate. I mean, uh, no matter what the effort of Jose Marichan would be, there's just no way, there's just no way we could celebrate Christmas apart from the incarnation of Christ. I want to leave us with these thoughts. You may have, you may get help and home elsewhere, but I hope and pray that ultimately we will all realize that Jesus is our only hope. Think about it this year, think about it next year. When the going gets tough next year, which, guess what, it will happen. When there are some circumstances next year, always think, As long as I have Christ, I'll be fine. As long as I have Christ, it is well with my soul. Amen? You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.